0: Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. While you're doing that, the long, long, ancient, traditional Easter greeting is, He is risen. He is risen he. You remember that. For those of you who caught, caught you off guard, let's try it one more time, okay? He is risen. He is risen he. And we want to focus so much on who He is as our risen Savior here today. Paul was drawing together this letter to the church at Corinth, and he's just about to embark on just a whole chapter that has to do with the uh, assurances of the resurrection. But he wants to begin by putting resurrection in the context of the entirety of the gospel. It's so easy at Easter to just focus on the resurrection, but the gospel includes more than this. So Paul makes that abundantly clear. Will you read along with me, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you. This is what he's preached everywhere he's gone. Which you received. Now these were believers in Christ he was writing to. And in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We'll come back to that in a minute. And here's the essence. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. What is that? What does he receive? What is this he's preached? Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as Paul just lays at his heart here, as he sums up so much of his ministry, It all revolves around these three essential elemental facts. May they reinforce all of our faith today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Too often at Easter time, it's easy just to look on the resurrection as tremendous as it is. But again, we want to put that in its context, just like Paul did. The gospel is the death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these uh, eight verses, Paul starts, first of all, talking about what the gospel does, its effect, and then on what the gospel is. I want to reverse those this morning because the world we're living in sometimes don't really understand, first of all, what the gospel is. And to understand what it is is important before you see what it does. You ask a lot of people, well, what is the gospel? Well, Christ died. And that's pretty much all they have to say about that. But there's so much more. So let's look at what the gospel is, first of all. Thought one, what the gospel is. Paul lists these three elemental, absolute, fundamental facts about the gospel, and they are indeed facts. And we'll look at that in just a moment. He says, this I give to you as of first importance. This was a prime. This is the imperative. This is what it all boils down to. You can put a lot more in the presentation of the gospel, and you should. You should put your own story in there as well. But these are the elemental truths. These are the things you just can't leave out. These are the essentials, he said. And I received them myself. Now, who did he receive him from? Well, you would think he received it from the other disciples that were there. But he makes it abundantly clear, and especially in Galatians, Paul does, when he says it was the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to him and who revealed to him the clarity and the utmost certainty of the gospel, these three elements. And so here they are. First of all, that Jesus died in accordance with the Scriptures. Don't you find it interesting that when he thinks about the uh, big aspects of of the Gospel. He says nothing about the Incarnation. He does not mention anything about Bethlehem. He doesn't talk about Jesus living a sinless life, though all of these things were absolutely true. Quite to the contrary, He makes a beeline to the cross. He makes a beeline to the cross. And that's what's essential. That's what's essential. You've got to get to the cross. But there's more than just that. Did you know it, most everywhere you look, even in secular history, they will affirm to you that Christ died. They will affirm that to you. It, it, it's, it's an indisputable historical fact. The man named Jesus lived and died. So this is, this is fact, okay? This is not something that comes out of a philosophy. Though doctrine is built on top of it. it's not doctrine and dogma. This is what happened. This is True historical fact. But the fact that Jesus died, what's the good news about that? People died every day, especially in the Roman Empire and at the end of a Roman sword or a Roman spear. The good news here is this, that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There was purpose in his life and purpose in his death. And that purpose was to bear our sins on the cross. To take our full punishment for all of the evil thoughts, desires, and actions that we would ever do. He took that full punishment on himself. This is what the word says. I want you to understand something. Jesus died in order to do something for us. To take our sins upon himself that he might do something to us to transform our lives, that we might be born again, that he might do something through us, that he might share the gospel with the entire world. Let me say that again. This is capsulized in a way that you can, can share it to someone else. Jesus did something for us that he could do something to us that he could do something through us. What did he do for us? He died to take our sins upon himself. What did he do to us? He's transformed us. We are born again that he can work through us and live his supernatural life through us. That's good news. Not that Christ died, but that Christ died to take our sins upon himself, that he vicariously suffered for me, that he took my place. That's the good news. That's the good news. This philosophy that so many people have in our present world that that God judges on a curve and and he's got these kind of scales and if you get through life and you've done more good than you've done bad, then he says, okay, I'll, I'll let you squeeze on into heaven. That is so popular, but it's so not true. It's so not scriptural. You don't find that in the Bible. You find it in the heart and the will of man, but not in the Word of God. So he died for our sins, but that's not all. This was according to the Scriptures, according to prophecy. After Jesus rose again as he was walking with the two on on, uh, the road to Emmaus, he, he began to teach them and he just opened up to them everything from the law and the prophets, everything that was told about him, about his death and his resurrection. The Old Testament is filled with this. His death was predicted. His death was anticipated. His death was fulfilling what was written in the Scriptures. And so this is what Paul wants you to grasp. Here's where the gospel begins. Not just Jesus died, but he died to take our sins upon himself. And he did that in according with all of the prophecies written hundreds, thousands of years before his incarnation before he appeared on planet earth in the baby. So that's thought one. Thought two, fact two is this. Jesus was buried according to the scriptures as well. He was buried. Now, it's interesting when I read through that and I think, okay, why did he chunk that in the middle? I mean, of course he was buried. You know, people who die usually end up buried, okay? Why, why was that? It was of incredible importance. It was of incredible importance because there were eyewitnesses that knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that that man was absolutely stone cold dead. There was a rumor that circulated that, that when he was, he, he was laid in the, the cool of the tomb that, that he revived and he got better and, and, and then he was, he was able to go and do all of these other things. Let me tell you a couple of reasons that's not true. First of all, people who loved him dearly were right there at the cross. And don't you think if there was any hope that they could do CPR on him, any hope that they could breathe life in him, don't you know they would have done that? But what did they do? they took him to be buried people who had dealt with dead bodies all along preparing them for burial, washing them, packing them in spices, wrapping them in cloth you don't do that to a person unless they're dead but to me even the more telling evidence was this a Roman centurion of the praetorian guard had been put in responsibility to execute those three criminals. This was a man who had a long history of watching people die, of being sure they were dead. And one of his soldiers, just to be sure, took his lance and pierced it up through the lung and into the heart and just pulled it back out. And the blood and the fluids came out. Professional executioners witnessed and verified his death. Because, see, then they had to take word to Pilate, who would hold them personally responsible at their own death, to report he's dead. It is so significant. We've got to have the burial in this gospel presentation. That's part of the wonder that happened. How do we get all excited about Easter? Unless we know that he was absolutely graveyard dead. And indeed, he was. His family, if there was any way, (laughs) they would have found it. Don't you know how reluctant they were to put him on that slab and push that stone in front of that grave and to say he's gone he's gone fact number one he died according to the scriptures fact number two he was buried fact number three he was resurrected also according to the scriptures he fulfilled the predictions. It's a fabulous study to go into our Old Testament and mine out all of these places where it was prophesied that Jesus would die and that he would rise again. And not only the prophets, Jesus did that himself. From very early time in his three years with these men He told them over and over again that he would be handed over to the Jewish authorities, that he would be mistreated, that he would be killed, but that he would rise again. So not only had others prophesied about him, he prophesied himself that this was going to happen. Three basic facts. And they're facts. They're verifiable historical facts Look at all the witnesses. Nearly 600 of them mentioned here that not only saw him wandering on a hillside way far away, but touched him, talked to him, sat down and ate with him, listened to him as he continued to preach. Folks, don't ever let anybody question the historicity of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's more evidence for his death, burial, and resurrection that there was a Julius Caesar as there have ever lived at all. Don't you back off that. That is the facts of the gospel. Now, can can I make a little application here that's very much implied, but it's not just really written in big, bold letters for you to see right here? The gospel of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is the historical fact of what happened to him, this is symbolically what happens to each and every one of us. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says that we're buried with him in baptism unto death and then raised to walk in newness of life. Paul talks over and over again about how the old man has to be put to death that we can walk in the power of of, of the new man. Let me tell you how that works. Uh, First of all, you've got to understand that something in us must die when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, here's what's essential. Let him deny himself, die to himself, deny himself, take up his cross, the symbol of death, and then follow after me. Let it happen to you what happened to me. When we come to faith in Christ, something has to die. What has to die? That attitude in our heart that says, I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it, I don't care. That attitude of sin, of being in absolute control, of it being me and me and about me all the time, that's got to die. And if it doesn't die, you can't be redeemed. Now that death is a long lingering death in most all of us. But it's got to be put to death. And it hurts Death hurts. But when the death happens, then there's the hope of resurrection. There must be a burial. There must be a burial. There must be this attitude that says, I want to do what I want to do has got to be buried. To where I can pick up the attitude, Lord Jesus Christ, I want your will in my life. I want your will to be done. I want you to be the Lord and the master of my life. That can't happen if every time I turn around, I'm fighting him. And say, I know what you want me to do, but I won't see. See, I'm not dead yet. I haven't died yet. And then, it's a good idea when things die to bury them. Have you found that out yet? They sure can stink a lot if you don't. They sure can stink a lot if you don't. I read a story here a while back about a family that had a little bunny rabbit at Easter time, kept it a few months, and something happened to it, and, and uh, it uh, died. So dad took out, Later, and uh, late at night, he buried it back below in the, in the backyard. Next morning when they got up, the rabbit was in the living room. Not alive, the dog had dug him up. And so daddy buried him a little deeper. That's all right, the dog dug it a little deeper. Next morning he was back in the living room again. Finally, he had to cart that rabbit way off to the next county. That's my habit, folks. I'm bad about digging up my old dead self. I'm bad about digging up the old man that still wants what he wants out of life. But listen, if I can leave him in the the grave even three days, let me tell you what happens. Resurrection happens. Something happens in my heart. Something comes to life that wasn't there before. Something that I can't, I wouldn't give up for anything in the world. It's the intimacy of having Christ as the Lord of my life. Let me give you an example real quickly and then I need to move on. Maybe you've been deeply hurt. Maybe something has happened to you that just has scarred you immensely. And because of that, you're angry and you're afraid and you're vengeful and, and, and hateful, especially in relation to that person who has hurt you so deeply. Okay? But then Christ begins to work in your heart. And he begins to remind you of how much he's forgiven you of. And he challenges you by faith and with Holy Spirit's help to release that person. To forgive that individual. And to let that go. To let it go. It takes death to do that. You've got to die to say, I deserve or that person ought to he, he or she deserves we gotta die to that. And that hurts. But we can do that with Holy Spirit's power and grace. We can do that. But then we've got to leave it buried. We gotta quit digging it up. We gotta quit rehearsing that hurt and doing those things that nurture. And if we can do that, if we can follow the pattern of our Lord Christ right here, then something amazing comes to life. Peace. Hope. Sanity. Freedom. You see, folks, unforgiving that, that's a poison that we take hoping to kill somebody else. But it only kills us. When you release that person, you find a freedom and a peace that is a resurrection. It's a new life. So this pattern that Paul talks about of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we emulate in our sanctification, in our walk of growth with the Lord. And we become more like Him in the process. This is what the gospel is. There is a condition here. The condition says, if you hold fast unless you have believed in vain. You see, there are those who believe in vain. They learn a few facts about Jesus They know the facts that he died and he was buried and he rose again. But they've never given their life to Jesus Christ. They've never released themselves to be transformed and changed from the inside out. And they keep all of the rules and regulations of religion. And they give and they show up and they look nice. But nothing has ever transformed within them. And this is vain faith. It's empty faith. There's no substance there. And Jesus said what happens is when difficulty comes along, that faith just disappears because there was nothing to it. There was no substance there. It just simply disappears. And the amazing thing is (laughs) so many people live with that empty faith. And their lives have never been born again. Never transformed the way God wants it to. I want you to to do what the scripture says. To make your calling and election sure. Your salvation is complete when you surrender your life, when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And allow him to be the sovereign, absolute, uncontested Master and Lord. What happens when we do that? That's thought number two, what the gospel does. Two things quickly that the scripture says that happens. First of all, the gospel provides us a firm foundation. He says, in the gospel you receive, in which you stand, it gives you a foundation. It gives you protection. It gives you perspective in this crazy world that you and I are living in. It enables us to handle life, to handle pandemics. Mass shootings. It gives us an orientation. It gives us a place to go. It gives us a means to interpret what's happening in our world. And as we do that, then, then, then we're not tossed to and from, as the scripture says, by, by all the circumstances that happen. We're rooted and grounded. And rather than running willy-nilly scared in the midst of all of the craziness that's happened in life, we can stand. And and all this having to stand firm. This is talked about when you put on the armor of God. You're able then to stand and to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. The gospel gives you that perspective. It also gives you a place to stand when you messed up when you seriously messed up in life it gives you a place to come back to a place to stand a refuge to come back and know that there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness always at the cross of Jesus Christ it gives us a firm foundation and finally it, it provides a process for our ongoing salvation our sanctification our spiritual growth this is the process Paul writes right here, by which you are being saved. He didn't say by which you were saved, though we have past tense references in the Scripture. And he wasn't saying here that that you will be saved, though we have future tense passages in the Scripture. He's talking about us being saved. There There is a process by which we're growing in Christ. And that process here is what he's talking about. We are being saved. Let me, let me take you to some of our discipleship model that we use here that has become so natural with Derek and I and others who've, who've been through our discipleship classes. We understand that our personality, our, our soul, our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our thinker, our feeler, and our decider. That's who we are, the essence of our personality and who we are. But it also, in that Trinity, shows us what's happening to us. You see, our spirit was dead. The Bible tells us that the spiritual part of us, that which communicates directly to God, that that dies. That that dies when sin enters. That's dead. But when we come to Christ, we're born again. Well, our bodies are not born again. No. It's our spirit that is born again. has been made alive. It was dead in trespasses and sin, Paul says. Now it is made alive. So, that's past. This body is going to wear out. This body is not designed to work forever. But this body will be redeemed and replaced by a perfected version of it in the future. So you see, our body... Our bodies are going to be perfect one day. We're we're, going to, you know, I'm going to lose the gut, you know. Uh, My wife says when she gets to heaven, she's going to be five foot six because she's never been any more than five foot in her life. Whatever God's got in mind for that perfected body, it's designed for eternity. This one's designed just for a short period of time. It's designed for ever. That's the future. But the present is the soul. That's where God is transforming our mind, how we think. Our emotions that have been so deeply damaged. And our will, our determining, our deciding factor, our value system in life. This is what's in the process of what he's doing for us now. How we're being saved, we're being transformed the way we think, the way we feel, the way we decide. These are things that are going on that God's transforming for us right now now. So Paul says, look, the gospel is so much more. But when you boil it down, there are these three essential elements. Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. This is not presented for your intellectual grasp. It's not here just to where you can understand these basic facts, though you need to understand those facts. What's essential is that he died to take your sins on the cross and that he rose again that you might have eternal life. Have you surrendered your life and heart to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior? If not, you need to do that today. Will you pray with me, Holy Spirit? May the essence of the gospel not only be reinforced in our minds that we might know what it is, but may it consume us. May we surrender our hearts and will and mind to Jesus Christ to be our sovereign, uncontested Lord and Master controller, and king. If there's anyone here today or watching that would like to know their soul is eternally secure in Christ, that their sins are forgiven, that eternity is secure, may they pray with me right now. They don't have to pray out loud, but Lord, may in the depths of their heart, encourage them. Lord Jesus, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I've been doing life my own way far, far too long. But now I dare to believe that you died according to the scriptures to take my sins upon yourself, that you were buried, and my sins are buried too, never, ever, ever to come back to life. And that you rose again that I may have your life. Come into my heart right now. Cleanse me. Forgive me. I want to be yours. I give you my life. Lord, I know in the authority of your word that's how somebody gets saved that's how transformation begins and today if anyone here in the sanctuary or watching has prayed that prayer I I ask you Lord Holy Spirit would you please urge them those in the sanctuary encourage them to come forward in the next few moments to talk to Goody or to Tony and, and just say I prayed with the preacher we want to encourage them we want to love on them welcome them into your family Father, those at home that have made this decision, you encourage them to call us or text us or email us, get in touch with us somehow, and let us rejoice with them over their decision as well. The angels are rejoicing, and we want to rejoice. Because you live, Lord. And because you live, we can face tomorrow all the things that scare us. Dare to believe are in your hand. So, Lord, use this time of invitation that folks may come and just come to the altar and pray for friends, come and just pray their prayers to you, come and give their lives to Christ. This is your time. We ask in Christ's name.